All right, cheers. Welcome back. This is episode number 22, and uh, I have a drink here. I've got a book open. I've got my notes here, and I'm sitting at my desk, and uh, it's a Saturday night, which I usually, in the past, I've never really recorded on a Saturday night, but I figured I have something worthwhile to say, so cheers to uh, you listening, so thank you, and um, let's dive right in, okay? I'm never going to do the intro song so let's get started this time i uh i have an insight that came to me earlier this week i was reading through uh an ancient text that's pretty much 15 1600 years old it's called the life of moses by uh, gregory of nyssa gregory of nyssa was one of the greek Cappadocian fathers, okay, and they were some of the more influential early writers, early theologians, early pastors, whatever you'd like to call them, and some of their writings have just survived because they are legitimately that good. Unfortunately, when you go to Barnes & Noble or you look around online, um, their books don't always come up because they're not quite the best sellers, but if they're still being printed today, then that means they've stood the test of time. So Gregory of Nyssa was born in 332 and passed away in 395, but not before writing a book called The Life of Moses. So The Life of Moses was his attempt as a Christian to write the life of Moses in such a way that even Greeks would want to read the Hebrew scriptures. So there was, um, during his time of history, I guess, there was a little bit of a dissension about whether or not to continue reading the Hebrew scriptures. It wasn't terribly far um, away in years that there was something called the Marian, I mean, sorry, not Marian, the Marcionite heresy, where Marcion was a Christian, but he went through and tried to cut out everything that seemed Jewish in the New Testament, which meant he cut out a fair, lot, fair amount. But here, uh, Gregory of Nyssa was trying to write a biography that he thought would really portray Moses well. And so there's some comments on rhetoric. There's some really profound things about virtue that are being discussed in there. But this past week, I was charged with the task of uh, leading a discussion on the burning bush. And like usual, I can't always go back to the same flat uh, interpretation. Clearly, if I said flat, you know that uh, I get bored, I guess, with the same old interpretations all the time. But in the midst of this, I was reading Exodus 3, which is the story of the burning bush with Moses, which I'm going to read to you. But I also looked up in my bookshelf and saw The Life of Moses by Gregory of Nyssa. So, of course, I took that down off the shelf and flipped open to the page where he recounts this. And then 
he made a connection for me that I just thought was brilliant. And so I'd like to share it with you. Okay? So what I'm going to do is read Exodus 3 and then go to a different passage that I think it kind of unlocks the burning bush in a really deep and profound way. All right? So let's get started. Let me take a sip. Hold on. Ooh. All right. So in Exodus 3, we have the story of Moses, who is just finishing up his, he doesn't know he's finishing it up, but he's ending his tenure as a shepherd. After before that, I mean, before that, <coughs> he was a prince in Egypt. So he had gone from royalty to being a shepherd. And then here <coughs> is a turning point for him. So let's go in. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange light, why the bush does not burn up. <coughs> when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So this is a famous, famous passage. Okay, I mean, it's interesting that it kicks off the book of Exodus because from here on out, there has been uh, a call put on Moses' life. 
that he can't deny or run away from. But I've been in some conversations about this passage, and it's interesting because so many people will go back to reading um, and asking literal literal questions, like historical questions. Did he really see a burning bush? Well, none of us were there. This is the account that he has given. This is what's been handed down through tradition to us. But I think that there's something else going on here beyond or deeper than just the level of yes or no, did this event really happen? I think there's something deeply profound being taught here. So I'm not saying that this event didn't happen, but when we get caught up in just asking that question and never probing any deeper, we kind of miss some of the real profound teachings that happen across the Bible. So again, like this podcast is called Ambushed, trying to be ambushed, trying to be surprised by a new idea or a new approach or a new way of thinking. But the best part is this is really like 1600 years old because I'm going to give you an insight that came from Gregory of Nyssa that maybe others have had also, but It's funny that now that I'm out of college, out of uh, seminary, and I've been working at churches, I have never heard this interpretation before. So, let's see. Here's a story of Moses out walking in the wilderness, and then God is in a bush. There's flames happening all around it. A question is asked of him, um, of God, who are you? Right? And then in the midst of all of this, God also tells him to take the sandals off of his feet because where he's walking is holy ground. Where, (laughs) I have to say, I do know of some people that have chosen to preach sometimes barefoot in reference to this passage. Preaching barefoot in a church service is kind of funny. Um... But can you think of any other passages that this one, the burning bush, is maybe echoing? Or there are parallels, or it's there's a pun happening in it. If you haven't gotten there, I'm just going to say it. So Exodus 3 is this chapter, the burning bush. What about Genesis 3? So I'm going to flip over. Genesis 3 is right after the creation event in the Hebrew scriptures. And on top of that, it is the chapter where apparently everything just goes wrong or starts going wrong. So in this version that I have, this is titled The Fall. Let me read this to you. All right. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. 
and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil, or in Hebrew, tov and ra'ah. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I think we can probably just stop there. So let's ask some questions again. In this chapter, who's doing the walking? God's out in the open. Who's hiding in a bush? Seems like Adam and Eve are. What's the question here? It's, where are you? And where in this passage is there something that has to do with covering and uncovering? You see, I think there's a pun that's maybe happening with the burning bush. And this is an interpretation that comes from Gregory of Nyssa from 1600 years ago. That even in Exodus chapter 3, the events of Genesis 3 are already starting to be undone. I mean, in, in the earlier passage, it's God who's out in the midst walking, and it's humanity that's hiding. And then when we get to Exodus, in the burning bush, it's humanity that's out walking, but this time in a desert, not in a garden. And it's God who's hiding in the bush. But how striking is it that in Genesis, the question is, where are you? Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 are lost, but at least they're known. God knows who they are and they know who God is. But then when you get to Exodus 3, it's like it's inverted. The question isn't, where are you? In Exodus 3, the question is, who are you? Because this time around, it's not that humanity is lost, but it's that in the burning bush, God is found. Does that make sense? It's almost like a, a parallel but opposite. Not only that, but in Exodus, the question is, who are you? Humanity doesn't know who God is anymore like they used to back in Genesis. Because in Genesis, the question was, where are you? Not who are you? And I think one of the most 
brilliant plays that happens here. As in Genesis, Adam and Eve look around and they're ashamed that they were naked, which might be more of a reference to saying like they recognized that they were vulnerable. And so they make coverings for each other. And then again, here in Exodus, God tells them to take sandals off their feet, which is like a step in the direction of reclaiming vulnerability again. You don't have to cover up anymore. So when I read these passages, especially the burning bush, I think it's easily possible to get your uh, toes wet, like at the ocean. Or if you walk out a little further, you can dive incredibly deeper. And I have to say that when I read this passage earlier this week, it struck me and it surprised me. And I thought, my goodness, we've very often been guilty of only getting our toes wet when we look at this passage. The burning bush and just being profoundly amazed and wanting to have the same exact experience of hearing God speak through a fire. But then you miss the brilliance of the passage. That in the presence of God, the original mistakes of humanity are undone. That humanity finds God again. They may not know who God is, but it's okay because this God then shares his name. And in the presence of God, vulnerability can be shown again. That in the presence of the divine, you can let your guard down again. And that's something that hasn't happened since before the events of Genesis 3. So when I read some of these passages and I read parts of the Old Testament, I have to say that in the past like couple months or maybe the past few years, but not, not more than like five years, these passages have started to stand out to me, but more in like um, a more mysterious way, in a way that says there's always got to be something deeper happening here. And the, the surface interpretation is fine, but I'm, I'm kind of tired of just getting my toes wet and I want to try to jump in, dive into the midst of all of this and see what, what's really going on in this passage. And if I were to say, I think God has always been the presence that brings safety. God has always been the presence that brings familiarity again, being known, person to person. And that when God shows up, God also makes his priorities known that he cares about justice and doesn't like it when people are oppressed. That's, that's three of the most important things that come from Exodus chapter 3. Familiarity is restored. Vulnerability is capable again. And the priorities 
are voiced again. This is a great passage. I encourage you yourself to go back and take a look at this. In some sense, because what if the whole world is on fire in the same way that this bush was? We just don't have eyes to see it. I find it very intriguing that through a lot of the world's religions, God is often um, described or um, the imagery of fire is used or fire is a metaphor for God or something like that. And I think it's profound because it also makes me think of um, this French guy, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, who said that love is like a fire. What if the whole world is aflame with the presence of God? But we've gotten accustomed to not noticing God hiding in the most mundane things. But then if we give the chance to, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And be like Moses and say, I need to investigate this a little further. You get a little closer and then you find that God is present. And again, wherever God is present, there's three things. There is familiarity is restored. Vulnerability is capable again. And priorities of justice and goodness. They're being brought to the forefront again. So let me close with this. If you get a chance, um, go read some more of uh, Gregory of Nyssa. He said some really profound things. And um, I'll finish with this quote from him. He says, Concepts create idols. Only wonder comprehends anything. People kill one another over idols. But wonder makes us fall to our knees. So as you take time to go back and reread uh, Exodus 3 and then Genesis 3, don't get caught up in your concepts or your ideas and just sit back and try to have some wonder and let that wonder lead you to a reverence. And then try to figure out ways that you can incorporate familiarity, vulnerability, and the priorities of God no matter where you go. All right? Onward and upward. Till next time. Cheers.